just about says it all, doesn't it? Holy God. Let's uh, take our Bibles and look at Psalm 127. We've been taking this, and, and uh, since Solomon says in here, there are certain things that everybody does, and everybody in that day would do, but he says it's vain unless the Lord does it. And uh, whenever you find a society, a culture, a nation, a family, a person who starts doing these things without the Lord, trusting in these things without the presence of the Lord, well, then you know that that is a person, that is a family, that is a church, that is a nation, that is a society that is um, in decline. And I don't think that's any real secret or revelation to, to kind of uh, for us to feel like and to understand that our nation is in trouble and the judgment of God is uh, upon us even as we speak. You read Romans chapter 1 and all of that immorality is not uh, the, uh, what causes the judgment of God. It is the punishment the judgment of God upon our society. And that's why it goes so fast, and that's why it is unhindered. And uh, we really need to pray that God will uh, have mercy. And I think about um, Habakkuk, who said, In wrath, remember mercy. And boy, we really do need the mercy of God on our society today. Now, we talked about uh, some of the things that uh, show us that a society is in decline and if you go back up to uh, Psalm 127 and uh, we'll start just kind of looking at verse 1 and just make a comment first of all is the attempt to, su to, to succeed as a secular society and notice that Solomon said unless the Lord builds a house they labor in vain who build it in other words they're trying their best they're doing everything that they think is right it's just apart from the Lord and they can't figure out why it doesn't seem to work. The second thing we looked at is an inordinate trust in military might. Well, we've got bombs, and we've got tanks, and we've got uh, airplanes, and we've got all kinds of weapons, and we've got great strategy and great training and all of that. But the Bible says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's an empty pursuit on that lots of other empires throughout history have said we are invincible only to find out that they weren't when God is the one who raises up nations and God can also bring those nations down we must never forget that but our, our country and our society pretty much has except for a few nice words every once in a while number three uh, we know that we're in decline when we find our identity and our security in work or wealth. And we think that we are too big to fail. We think that our economy is too big to fail, that our industry is too big to fail. And sometimes we feel the same way. I make too much money to uh, fall apart or anything, but a lot of millionaires and billionaires go bankrupt. A lot of them lose their family, they lose their marriages, they lose their credibility and all of that because you cannot trust in wealth or work. You cannot trust in the position that you hold, whether you're a king, whether you're a president, whether you're a senator, whether you're a congressman, whether you are a Fortune 500 CEO, it doesn't matter. 
whether you have $1,000, $100,000, a million dollars, a billion dollars, it doesn't matter. Without the Lord, you don't have any security at all. And it's a, a failure when we try to substitute uh, those things for the Lord. And then we, um, well, when you look down at verse 2, it said, It's vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. I think that's a reference to uh, working, burning the candle at both ends and thinking that's what's going to make you successful when you need the blessing of the Lord. We crave that. And then we uh, talked last week, number four, you know you're in decline when you see children, not as a blessing, but as a burden. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And isn't it interesting how all of the things that our culture is just running toward, the transgender thing, homosexuality, abortion, and all of that, they're all the kind of things that either destroy children and babies or they cannot produce them no matter what anybody tries to say and yet the bible says be fruitful and multiply but we we don't want that and our culture doesn't want that children will get in the way when the bible says that they are a reward so we have to change our thinking maybe even in the church we have to change our thinking sometimes even about little children and we need to invest in them pray for them love them and uh, be there for them and help them through rough times and teach them and train them and all of that is so extremely important okay number five this is what we're going to talk about tonight and I've entitled this one leaving parenting to the quote-unquote the experts and it says like arrows in the hand not of an expert but of a warrior so are the children of one's youth so were the children of one's youth I think the picture here is of a man who had children when he was young but he's older now and now as he is uh, the next verse will talk about going to the gates that's the court of law in ancient Israel that's where they would go to get a judgment that's where they would go to face a lawsuit that's where they would go to defend the city of course from uh, an attack from the uh, neighboring countries that type of thing and uh, this is the picture of a man who had uh, children particularly sons and he had them when he was young and he's older now so if he's older now what does that mean his children are also older and picture this man as he goes to face a lawsuit to go to face accusations to go to face somebody who is trying to take over his land the land that his forefathers received from Joshua after they came into the promised land and he's got to go defend that or maybe the uh, invaders are coming in they're outside of the walls of the city they're trying to come in it's time to rally all of the troops picture this man he's an older man now maybe he's in his 60s maybe a little older than that maybe a little younger we don't know for sure but he's got his adult sons with him because he had them when he was younger and now he no longer has his youth and he no longer has the strength of his youth but his sons do and in fact if we were to take this man when he was younger before his children grew up he may have been a strong man he may have been a muscular man he may have been a, an expert shot and all of that but he's only one 
But now picture him as he has maybe two or three or four children, his sons around him, and certainly they can do a whole lot more than the one man could ever do. And the psalmist says that he will not be put to shame when he faces his enemies at the gates. There's something about a family standing together. There's something about having children to watch over you, to take care of you, to help you, and to protect you and defend you as you grow older. There are certain things that... Uh, occasionally uh, we might need done and uh, I don't do them all the time anymore Uh, my eyesight kind of fails me and then sometimes just physically it's difficult to do as I get older and you know what happens here comes one of our kids to the rescue okay and they can come and do those kind of things it's the way it's supposed to be and that's actually a part of what the meaning when it says honor your father and your mother honor has to do with sometimes we give somebody a a check and we call it an honorarium and uh, we read in the new testament that the laborer is worthy of his hire and we are to honor those who labor for example in the church those who labor in the word and it has to do not just with saying a kind word about them or anything but it has to do with financial support in that situation well that's what we're to do even with our elderly parents to make sure that they're taken care of to make sure that the things that they cannot do or maybe the things they can't afford the necessities of life are taken care of by the children and so this is the plan of God and it's the plan of God as well that as you raise your children and as they care for you as you get older then one of these days when you and I pass off of the scene our children will live on until the Lord returns and I pray regularly for my children and for my grandchildren and pray for them to be saved and pray for them to be sanctified and pray for them to be protected from the evil things that are going on in this world and evil and liberal philosophies and uh, sinful ideas, a, a lot of things like that. And then I add on to it. And Lord, if it pleases you, I pray that somebody with my DNA will still be serving the Lord on behalf of our family whenever the Lord Jesus returns. And um, that's something that I think is important. We want the generations to go on. We want the truth to go on. And we want them to go places where we can't go. When you think about an arrow, what is happening when a, a warrior shoots an arrow? The arrow is going where the warrior does not and perhaps cannot go and yet it is still very effective because he's the one that launches it he's the one that aims it he's the one that that shoots the arrow and our children are to be thought of like that they're going to be doing things and interacting with people that we will never see they're going to be interacting with family members that we will never meet and it goes on and on and on generation after generation according to the will and the plan of God. Now, when we uh, think about this, the uh, breakdown of the family is not by accident. This is something that the liberal agenda, the leftist agenda, and may I even say this, the communist and Marxist agenda that has certainly infiltrated our culture calls for the abolition of, of the nuclear family. Karl Marx in his Communist Manifesto in 1848 he uh, said that 
the uh, family rests upon capitalism, capitalist, the bourgeois uh, part of society, as he put it, and it must be destroyed in order for communism to succeed. And we're thinking uh, for years, well, that'll never happen here, but we are turning our lives over to more and more to the experts. Think about what the experts have done to us. And think about how we trust in them. In fact, we see kind of a breakdown of even Titus 2. There are younger people now that they don't really care what their mom and dad say or what their grandma and grandpa have to say because they can Google it, you know, and they can find out something that the experts have to say. If the government ever wants to push anything, all I have to do is take you back to 2020. During the COVID thing, why did we shut down our economy? Why did we shut down schools? Why did we isolate people? Why did we wear masks? Why did we shut our churches down? Why did businesses, some of them, have not come back? Why did we do all that? What kind of people do those kind of things? We did it because, you ready? The experts told us that's what we have to do. How many times have you, uh, oh, been to the doctor and you tried to do talk to your doctor, but they were way too busy for you, and they already knew what was wrong with you and what was going on, and they barely even listened to you and just kind of gave you a, you know, a, a perfunctory little nod and, 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 you know, well, I'm the expert. I'll tell you what's wrong with you and what you're supposed to do, only to find out they weren't right. You ever had that happen? You ever had it happen to where if the doctor had taken time to listen to you, you would have gotten well much, much sooner. My daughter Chelsea is in the hospital and she's got uh, a perforated uh, colon with a diverticulitis and they're um, hoping that with antibiotics over a few days that the perforation will close. And um, this all started back while we were in Israel. And uh, she passed out, even from the pain, in a 7-Eleven of all, all places. And um, she went to the doctor. They went to the emergency room, and uh, they didn't, you know, find anything. But they never did a scan. They never checked it out. She went to her primary doctor, and that doctor said, well, maybe it's a food allergy or something. Just whenever that comes up, take a Benadryl. Now, this has happened seven times since then. And a lot of pain. And she's in the hospital now. They did a scan and the people there were saying, you mean nobody checked this out before? Nobody did a scan? Nobody looked? No, because they didn't really listen. They didn't really pay attention. And they just told her, just take a Benadryl. Just take a Benadryl. Well, that does absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. Had they just simply listened they would have been on track for this a whole lot more. But you see, we live in a world where we trust the experts, we leave it in their hands, and we say, well, they, they know a whole lot more than I do. Do they? Not always. Sometimes your instincts and sometimes the things that you know can lead you into a much better place than the experts could ever figure out. And I say uh, when I 
talk about the experts that we have, the experts and what they say. Think about what happened during COVID. Think about what shape our cities are in. The cities, our major cities now are in a mess and they're falling apart, but they're run by the experts. Think about what goes on in Washington, D.C. We elect these people to go up there and they represent us and then we just kind of check out after the election's over and just leave it to them and wonder what's going on and we elect the same kind of people over and over and over but we expect different results. Why? Because, well, they're the experts. They understand this. They know the laws. They know the language. They know what's going on and yet... According to uh, an NBC poll, this is NBC, they're pretty liberal, 77% of Americans think we're on the wrong track. I think that's significant, don't you? And yet we keep electing the same people and we keep voting for the same people and and, uh, the same old things keep happening and things don't get better. Forbes magazine did a poll and they, it's even worse, 88% percent of Americans on their poll say that we're on the right track and yet we just keep doing you know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results I mean we're just foolish and we won't turn to the word of God and we weren't won't turn to the principles that are found in scripture that's old-fashioned we've outgrown that we don't think that way anymore God is mean and cruel and Christians are just ignorant fools and hicks and all of that and so what do we do we keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and what happens more and more discouragement more and more despair more and more anxiety more and more depression I mean we could go on and on with all of this And uh, that's the world in which we live because we look to people and we say, well, you're the expert. You're the expert. And I think this kind of thing is really wreaking havoc in even Christian families because we're not paying attention to the Word of God. We're thinking that there are experts out there that know a whole lot more about my children than I do. Well, that's possible, I suppose, but nobody's going to care for them like a parent does. Nobody's going to love them like a parent does. Nobody's going to be invested in their children like a parent is. Not a teacher, not a daycare worker, not a neighbor, not a friend, nobody else. God instituted the parents to watch over their children, and that's why we entitled this, Parents Are the Experts. So many times they want to look and they want to say, well, I want to find an expert. That's you. That's you, and you need to pray for your children. If your children are parents, you need to pray for them because they fall prey for all of this kind of stuff. Now, this expert kind of uh, mentality means that we just kind of turn things over and then we we don't really have any control or ownership in uh, anything else that's going on. And uh, it's just a, a very, very sad thing to think about how it's affecting our children, how it's affecting our marriages, how it's affecting the basic building block of society and even of the church, and that is the family as God made it. Let's see, uh, catch up with myself here. Here's another thing from Forbes magazine a few years ago, a headline, and uh, here's what it says. To save the children, Harvard magazine calls for the abolition of of the family to save the children 
Harvard Magazine, that's from Harvard University, calls for the abolition of the family. I'm going to go the opposite, and I'm going to contend that it is the breakdown and abolition of the family that has caused so much harm to the children for several generations in our family. Would you agree with that? Harvard's wrong, but they're the experts. Let's listen to them. Don't listen to a preacher like me. I'm no expert other than I have the Word of God, the inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient, eternal wisdom of the ages, the Word of God. But, oh, we're way beyond that. Let's, let's listen to the experts at Harvard and see what they have to say. In the Nation magazine... It says, want to uh, dismantle capitalism? Abolish the family. Ah, now we're starting to see maybe what the agenda is. It's not just about the family. It's about changing our society, changing our government, changing our economic system. And the only way we're going to do that is to abolish the family. Well, look at the divorce rate. Look at the number of children that are born out of wedlock. Look at all of the things that are happening, sex outside of marriage. Look at all of the perversion that tears families apart today. Looks to me like they're doing a pretty good job. Thank you, experts. Right? And then we just sit on our hands and we keep quiet because after all, what do we know? We don't have any degrees. We don't have any expertise in any of these areas. Oh, I guess they know more than we do. That's called hogwash. God has given you His Word. Trust His Word. And as I said earlier, Karl Marx said as much in his Communist Manifesto in 1848 in which he called for the abolition of the family for the promotion of the communist and Marxist ideals. So, what are we going to do? We need some arrows. We need some arrows, as Solomon said. And we need to have our quiver full of arrows and be ready for the attacks, be ready for the warfare that comes up. But we've got to be careful because, let me give you uh, some points to think about under this. First of all, consider this. Arrows are not natural. There wasn't some caveman one day that was walking along and all of a sudden he looked and, man, there's a straight shaft with a point on the end of it, maybe even a steel point or maybe an arrowhead, and then feathers on the end of it to help. And then, and then he found a bow. Well, look at this. And I wonder if I could take this thing with this thing and pull back on it and aim, and I bet I could kill something or do something like that. It didn't happen like that, did it? Those things were invented. And I think that Solomon's point here about the arrow is that when we think about our children being arrows... The children in our church, the children in our own family, the children that we have influence over as we teach them and pray for them and help them, even if they're not our biological children, they are spiritually related to us. I think what Solomon is saying is none of this happens by accident and none of this happens just naturally. Consider what we have to do if we're going to have some good sharp arrows for our cultural warfare. Uh, we have to understand this, that your sweet little child has a sin nature. Okay? We don't like to think about that. Oh, he's just a little angel. Nope. Nope. That baby is depraved just like his daddy is. 
that baby inherited a sin nature uh, from the moment it was conceived. And it's just a matter of time until that sweet, innocent little baby begins to lie, begins to rebel, begins to disobey, begins to hurt other people, begins to, and, and it goes on and on and on from there. And it gets worse a lot of times as they get older. And parents, oh, my child would never lie to me. I've had parents say that to me. My child would never lie to me. Folks, I've raised three of them. I'm not an idiot. They do. They can, and most likely, they will. But we just kind of stick our heads in the sand. Oh, my child would never lie to me. And they pull the wool over our eyes. And uh, what happens? We end up being hurt. We end up with disruption. We end up with sin and all of that. And then we're not equipped and ready to take care of it because we've got to understand our sin, our children have a sin nature, and your little angel needs to be saved. That's the greatest need of your children and grandchildren's heart. It's not athletics. It's not education. It's not money. It's not anything like that. It's not being popular. It's not dressing in style. They need a Savior. And that's the only hope that they have. And yet so many, even Christian parents, they're so much more interested in their child doing well athletically or financially or educationally, and they neglect the things of God, and they neglect the gospel in their children's life, and they're just not all that interested, much more passionate about baseball than they are Sunday school or anything like that. This, folks, is called a problem because we don't see things properly and we don't see it through the eyes of God your kids your grandkids your nieces your nephews your kids in your neighborhood kids in your Sunday school class they need to be saved above all and they like you naturally go astray you remember in Isaiah it says all we like sheep that sounds all-inclusive to me. All we like sheep, even your sweet little kids, have gone astray. And we've turned every one to his own way. What's the only remedy? He has laid the iniquity of us all on him. That's the only hope that we have. We need a Savior. We need a substitute, someone to pay for our sins. In Psalm 119, verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet. And a light on my path. Now why do I need that? Because I'm constantly going off the path. And so are you. And so are our kids. And we've got to shine the light of the word of God on the proper path. Because the world has all of its bright lights going. And all of the things that are saying to your children and grandchildren. Hey this is where the fun is. This is where it's cool. This is where you're really going to enjoy things. And we've got to constantly shine the light on the path of the word of, that the word of God illuminates for us and we've got to let them see it or there's nothing that is going to be uh, right and nothing that's going to be good because in uh, Psalm 32 verse 9 it describes us you ready for this do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding which must be harnessed with uh, a bit and bridle else they will not come near you. You see, we have this tendency 
not to run to God, but to run from God. We have this tendency not to run to the Word of God, but to run away from the Word of God. Somebody said to me one time when I was serving on staff at a church, I overheard the conversation, I walked up on it, and um, somebody said, well, have you talked to the pastor about this? And they said, oh, no, that doesn't do any good. All he does is give you scripture. What, what are we saying? What are we saying about that? What an insult to our God who made us and gave us his wisdom. We're saying that there's an expert, a psychologist, there is a doctor, there is somebody else who has a better word for us than the word of God. One time, quite a few years ago, here in this church, a lady, I won't mention any names, came up to my wife and said, do you have any good books that I can read as my uh, children become teenagers? And Sammy said, I would suggest you really get into the book of Proverbs and saturate your mind in that. And this person was disappointed. That all you got? God help us, folks. If the people of God are like that, what hope is there for anybody else? Let that sink in. That's a terrible thing. We're not sharpening arrows with all of this other stuff, because the experts in child rearing and child discipline and all of that kind of stuff, have you ever noticed they change about every generation? Because if everybody's saying what they said 30 years ago, you don't need anybody new, do you? So we got to come up with something new. we got to come up with something different. Those old ways won't work. Those old ways are just old-fashioned and destructive and harmful and all of that. So we've found something new. And mark my words, if we live long enough, in another 20, 25 years, those things will be out of fashion, and those things will be outdated, and there'll be something new that comes along. We've got to get back to the book and get back to what God says because we are stubborn, and we're like the horse, and we're like the mule. And we've got to quit being like that, and that's why we're told not to be that way. You know, another thing, too, that not only is the arrow not just a natural occurrence, so we can't just leave our children, oh, they'll find the way, oh, they'll get it all right, oh, just leave them alone and everything will be great. Let them do what they want to do, they said. They'll turn out great, they said. It never happens. Never happens. So consider also, in addition to that, arrows must be shaped and sharpened. Can you imagine the first person that uh, uh, made an arrowhead out of a rock and they just picked up a rock and they just tied it onto a stick and tried to launch it with a bow? Probably didn't work too well, did it? But when they figured out how they could take that thing and shape it and sharpen it, now all of a sudden we've got something. And they were able to kill that deer. They were able to drive out that enemy or whatever they needed to do. And then they began to refine those things and make them better and better and better and better. And really, you know, the nuclear weapons that we have right now that we could use as a deterrent against our enemies, that all started with an arrowhead, didn't it? Maybe it started with just a blunt rock and somebody said, it got to be a better way to do it than this. And they came up with a, a way to launch it with a bow and arrow. And it went on from there to guns and to all kinds of things and then to airplanes and bombs and whatever. And some people you know, might say that's an improvement, but uh, it is in warfare, but uh, 
certainly is destructive, isn't it? But it all started because somebody had a better idea, a better idea, a better way to do something, and they began to shape it, and they began to form it, and over time they found out that uh, the straighter the shaft on the arrow, the better you could aim that thing. And they started finding out ways to make the arrow go farther and to make it do more damage whenever it did. And certainly that would help them out when they were looking for food, looking for wild game or something like that, and probably even in uh, warfare. Now remember, Solomon is the one who wrote this psalm, and he also wrote, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart or turn from it. Proverbs 22, 6. And one writer said, This involves biblical instruction, moral correction, firm discipline, and loving affirmation. Now, when you think about the way people are trying to raise children, they try to pick out the things that they like. It's like going, uh, I used to like to go to Furs and Luby's Cafeteria when I was a kid. And uh, when you go in there, I liked it because you could pick out what you wanted. You could see it and pick it out. And then your parents said, no, it's too expensive. You don't need that. But, uh, you know, you're, when you're a little kid, your eyes are always bigger than your stomach, right? And so you were told, if you get all that, you better eat it. Yeah. I remember when um, our kids got to that, that age that I dreaded. And it was the age where the kid's meal was not enough, but the adult meal was too much. You know? And then we got to the point, especially with Taylor, man, we could not keep milk in the house at all. Every time you turn around to go to the refrigerator, ah, the thing's empty. And, uh, you know, that, that kid could just guzzle all of that kind of stuff. And when they get to be boys, especially 11, 12, and, uh, you know, on up for a while, oh, my goodness, their metabolism is so high and they burn up so much energy that they can just never get full. I mean, it's a... It's an awful thing when you think about that. Well, I remember going through the cafeteria when I was that age. And uh, sometimes everything looked so good and I would get it. Can I get that? Can I get that? Can I get that? And they charged for each one of those things. And uh, maybe my dad would say, well, I'll let you get it this time, but you better eat it. And do you remember how hard it was when you would start eating that stuff? And you just, oh, man, you felt like it was just coming out your gills, Right. And it was, man, it was hard to do anything like that. And uh, so when I, when I think about those days and I think about those times, both with me and uh, with my kids, and uh, I think about what the uh, Scripture says here when it talks about train up in a, chi- a t- child in the way he should go. You know, sometimes you have to say that horrible, horrible word, N-O. You know, another thing you do when you think about those things that I listed, this involves biblical instruction. And you know, some people have said, well, we'll just go another way. I don't think we need that. They go to Sunday school. That's plenty. They go to Awana. That's, that, that's plenty. We don't really need that much of it. We also said moral correction. Well, I don't want to make my child think I'm mean. I don't want my child to be discouraged. I remember somebody came down on me and they were always correcting me and I hated that. 
Because the Bible says we hate instruction. And so we don't give it to our children. We don't want to try to correct anything. We don't want to do the firm discipline. But we will do the loving affirmation. We'll just tell them they're good. We'll just tell them they're sweet. We'll just tell them how great they are. We'll just give them participation trophies for everything that they do. And we will never, ever, ever try to correct or shape them or do anything like that. Folks, you're going to have a mighty, dull, inaccurate, hard-to-shoot arrow if you do that. And that's exactly what is happening in our society, isn't it? We see kids in the inner city that just run wild. Crime is going rampant. Have you seen this foolishness that some of these district attorneys are doing? They even did it in Dallas in a place like that, much less San Francisco and Chicago and those kind of places where they say, well, you know, shoplifters, you know, uh, we don't want to be mean to them. So we're not going to prosecute anything that's, uh, you know, under $900. So what do you suppose a juvenile delinquent is going to do? Get $899 worth of stuff and take it out and dare the police or the shop owners to do anything to them. And then we wonder why businesses close down, why they move out, and why there's more poverty in those areas. That didn't help anything. It made it worse. Crime has gone up. Drug abuse has gone up. And there's no correction. There's no education. There's no way out for any of those because those kind of policies don't work. They're shooting with a blunt arrow, and they can't figure out what's going on. And so they just do the same things over and over. Uh, well, let me back up. Sometimes I wish liberal politicians would just do the same things over and over, but they don't. They get W-O-R-S-E, right? They get more perverted. They get more insane. They get more loony on all of that stuff. And you want to say, oh, please come to Jesus and come to his word and surrender to his will and to his wisdom and receive him as your Savior and Lord. What a difference all of that would make. But we can't just pick and choose. We've got to give them biblical instruction along with moral correction, along with firm discipline, and with that, a healthy dose of loving affirmation because we're not against that, okay? We don't want to just all be negative and always be, uh, you know, Debbie Downer or anything like that. But we've got to keep it all in balance. And our children learn these things and they're trained in the way they should go through trials and through experience because they're not listening all the time to you. You know, we think they are, but they're really not listening. They have to experience some things. In America, we have a proverb that says, experience is the best teacher. Well, that just shows how dumb we are because in the book of Proverbs, it says a wise man learns by instruction. But we're just like our kids and our kids are like us. We don't really pay attention until we have to. Now, what was that I'm supposed to do? What was that I'm supposed to do? And I've had men in the past that have called me up and say, I've got problems with my wife. Now, now, what's that verse? What am I supposed to do with it? It's probably about two years too late by this point. But we try to give it to them anyway. And uh, it's hard because people really don't listen. And I, I remember one time somebody called me up. They had a problem. And the first thing that came to my mind is, I just preached on that two Sundays ago. You weren't listening. 
And if you don't pay attention to the Word of God and the explanation of the Word of God, all you're going to do is stumble around in the darkness, fall in the ditch, break your ankle and skin your knees and wonder what went wrong. And then you're going to expect to just have somebody give you a little bumper sticker theology thing and fix everything. It doesn't work that way. Pay attention to what God says. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Is that still in the word of God? Is that still the truth? It is. And it says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there that a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more uh, readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. They were imperfect, weren't they? But he, God, for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Somebody say amen to that. But painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit or a harvest of righteousness to those who have been, here's the word, trained by it. God's not just going after you because he said, I tell you, you did that, I'm going to take it out of your hide. That's not his goal or his motivation. He's shaping us like those arrows have to be shaped. And he's sharpening us and teaching us. And that's what we are supposed to do for our children as well. No wonder we're failing so much. We don't respond to what God does. And we don't really do it to our children. Or demand that they pay attention to it. Arrows must be sharpened. But also, let's think about this. Arrows must be directed. What good is an arrow if you're shooting at the wrong target? What good is a really, really good, put-together, sharp arrow if you don't know how to use it, if you don't know how to load it in the bow, if you don't know how to aim the bow, if you don't know where the enemy is, if you don't know what the target is? It's got to be directed. It reminds me of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, you're not just supposed to talk about the things of God for an hour on Sunday. That is something that is supposed to permeate your home, your life, your discipline, everything that you do all the time. You say, well, sometimes we see some things on TV that are objectionable. That's a great time when your kids saw that. That's a great time to teach them why it's wrong and how it's wrong and what God has to say about it. It means that whatever we're doing, whatever we are in, whatever the times are, good or bad, whether they're fat or lean, whatever it may be, it's always the right time to teach your children according to what God says through Moses here. In Psalm 25 Verses 4 and 5, it says, Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. 
and for you I wait all the day. Wouldn't it be great if that were true in our lives? Because sometimes we say, well, I know the Lord, everything's cool. Yes, but do you know his ways? Do you know his path? And the only way you can know his ways and his path, how he works, how he operates, what he wants, what he blesses, is you've got to have the scripture to shine on that. A lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, the path and the ways of God. Sometimes we're playing little religious games. Well, we had them in church every time the doors were open. But did you teach them? And did you demonstrate to them? And did you back up what the preacher has to say by the way that you live and by the convictions of your household? Your children will learn how to act in church. They'll learn how to act around the people of God. But they need to know how to act at school, at work, or wherever they may be in whatever situation in which they may find themselves. And so Moses and the Psalms and the Proverbs give us a great, great path for all of that because we've got to know the Lord. We've got to know His truth. We've got to know His ways. We've got to know His path only through the Word of God. And that's not going to happen just with a little pittance of teaching every once in a while. Think about how many hours they're in school compared to how many hours they're in church. Think about how many hours they're around their friends as opposed to how many hours they're around you. Think about how many hours they are saturated with videos and television and YouTube and social media and all of that as opposed to what they're learning in Awana even. Now, granted, the Word of God is much more powerful than any of those things, but we've got to understand this is, cannot be just a casual, every once in a while thing. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So as we do this, we've got to do it in a loving way. We've got to do it in a way that is going to bless them and to build them up, not punish with them. When I was a kid, we used to watch the Waltons. Anybody in here remember the Waltons? You know what Mama Walton, Olivia Walton used to do? You knew you were supposed to go get the eggs out of the hen house. Did you do it? No, Mama, I didn't. Go upstairs and memorize 20 Bible verses. Really? You want to use the Word of God as punishment? Then you wonder why your children don't love it and all of that? Come on, we've got to think about this. And we can do better. We can do better. And we can bless them so that they don't just become discouraged, throw up their hands and say, I can never please them. I'm done. And get out. And then lastly... The arrows must be released. We can't keep our kids with us all the time. Oh, I just miss those days when they were a little baby and a little kid. I do too, but they're not supposed to stay that way. I got a feeling I'd be tired of Taylor by now if he stayed a toddler all these years. I got a feeling even with my daughters, I'd be tired of them if they stayed toddlers. Oh, heaven help us if they stayed teenagers all these years. They got to grow up just like you did. And they've got to go out and they've got to have families of their own and they've got to know how to make it in the world. They've got to be released onto this culture because you're not raising children. I wish I could get people to understand this. You're not raising children. You're raising future parents. You've got to think long term in what they are doing. And so uh, you're not teaching them merely to make a living. You're teaching them to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Not just to get by, but to make a difference for the glory of God and in the kingdom of God. 
And we war against the enemy. And you know, a lot of times we look and we just say, oh, they're just kids. Oh, they're just young people. It doesn't really matter all that much. Boy, the devil believes in the power of young people. He'll take beer commercials and aim them not at people who it's legal to drink. He'll aim it at kids. He'll take tobacco, aim it at kids. They'll take immorality and perversion and they aim it at kids. What do you think all this drag queen story hour mess is for? Those kids don't even know whether they are trans or not. They have no clue on that kind of stuff. But they got drag queens doing all kinds of perverted stuff in their face. Now why would they care about all of that? Because the devil knows there's power in reaching children. Right? We better believe that. We better believe that. That's how you transform a culture. And that's what you do. And that's why the Bible puts so much emphasis on reaching, training, teaching our children. So we war against the enemy and the culture by training our children and by launching them where we'll never go. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, it says, speaking of the coming of Elijah before the Messiah, but this part of it is really near and dear to my heart. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Oh, what a difference that one thing would make. For dads to really care, for dads to be engaged, for dads not to be deadbeat dads, for dads not to be drunk and immoral and high on drugs, for dads to love their children and be involved in their life. It makes a big, big, big difference. For the hearts of the fathers to be turned to the children, and then listen to this, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Boy, wouldn't that be great? Oh, but i got to finish. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's exactly what's happening. That's exactly the way things are going. And it's worldwide. It's not just us. It's worldwide. But the world can't do anything about it. But we can. And this ought to be on our heart. It ought to be the way that we act. It ought to be a burden for us. And it ought to be something that we pray about. Proverbs 23, 22 says... Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. And yet that's exactly what we're doing now. We just say, ah, they're just old. They don't understand. They don't even know how to work their iPhone. How can I trust them with my kids? That's foolish. Very foolish. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 6 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Now, I read that again because that word diligently is the missing ingredient. Diligently, diligently. I don't warrior back in caveman days or uh, maybe Native American days or whatever. When they made an arrow, they were precise and they were careful, and they took their time to put it together. And man, it's so cool. Do you, have you ever found an arrowhead somewhere around? I have. And you look at it, and you just go, wow, that is so incredibly neat, the way that they did that. But they didn't do it fast, and they didn't do it haphazardly. They did it carefully. And in the same way, why do we try to raise instant children and have instant morality and instant religion and instant salvation and all of that type of stuff 
when the Lord has put us in here to say, this is your child, take your time and be diligent with them about all of this. Don't leave it to the experts because most of the time the experts in this world, they have no idea what they're doing. But that's part of the devil's plan. Put your children in the hands of somebody who doesn't really love them, doesn't really care for them, not really going to shape them, cannot launch them, doesn't build anything into their life. That's your job. That's my job. That's why we are here to do that and to pray those things into them. And we do it all for the glory of God because when we have a quiver full of arrows, what a difference what a difference can be made for the kingdom of God on this sinful, lost, dark, and perverted earth. And that's why every time you see a little kid run by in the hallway, think of this. Hope. There's hope. That could be the next John Calvin. That could be the next Charles Spurgeon. That could be the next John Wesley. That could be, well, I hope not. That could be the next George Whitfield. That could be, I mean, who knows? Who knows? But we've got to be optimistic and we've got to do what we can. Pray for these kids, even if they're not yours. Pray for them. Get to know them. Know their name. Know their hobbies. Get to know their parents and be a part of their life for the glory of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Sharpen those arrows. Sharpen those arrows. Father, as we come to pray to you, we come, Lord, because... We feel like that in some ways we've been uh, shooting blanks. But we know that's not your fault. And that's not because of you. That's because we're not being diligent. And we don't have our quiver full of arrows. And we don't really see it as uh, something that uh, where warfare is done and battles are won and victories come forth. We just kind of think if I can just get my kids out of diapers, if I can just get them out of elementary school, if I can just get them through high school, if I can just get them off to college and through college, then they'll be on their own. And we really have not prepared them as we should. So first of all, we confess that as sin. Forgive us. And thank you that that's under the blood of Jesus. Now, show us, Lord, through your word, what we can do, how we can pray, how we can be involved, whether our children are adult children or whether we're talking about our grandchildren or whatever it may be. We know it's never hopeless in you. Let us, as believers and as the church of God, rise up and have our quiver full of arrows to invest in the lives of our children so that this next generation is just really really changed and rocked for the cause of Christ and for the glory of God. Would you do something that's like an earthquake? Do something that's like a tsunami? Do something that's like a prairie fire? Do something that's like a barrage of arrows coming on the culture and overwhelm the devil and the demons of hell and this lost world and do it so that Christ is spotlighted, rules and reigns and lives are changed for the glory of God. Our only hope is in you. May we be obedient for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we want